Thanks, Michael. Morning, everybody. My name's Maddie. I'm going to be um, preaching to you this morning. Um, so we're in a series at the moment looking at the Psalms. Um, for those of you not familiar with this book, Christians are known as people of the book, and um, right in the middle of the Bible uh, is this really long collection of hymns and prayers called the Psalms. There are 150 of them. So there's a lot in there. And each week, a different one of us is going to pick something that um, just share and share a little bit about um, why that, what that psalm means to them. So I'm going to be doing that. And the verse that jumps out uh, from this psalm for me, or has done, is um, that line, Who, O God, is like you, in verse 19. But before we get into it, let's, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your presence with us here today. We thank you that your mercies are fresh and new every, every morning. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, minister through this um, passage of Scripture. And would you speak to each one of us? May we have open hearts to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, yeah, I chose this psalm um, because for me, it encompasses, in a way, the whole of the human story and the whole of, of God's story, which is quite a big thing to claim, but I think it does. Um, it tells us something about our relationship with God and um, our relationship um, with the Bible and how it speaks to us. David, um, King David is the one who wrote this psalm, and he wrote it towards the end of his life. You might remember David from uh, David and Goliath, um, that story, David and Bathsheba, another Netflix um, 18 rating story. Um, but this same David is now writing or, or praying towards the end of his life. And it's that line, oh God, who is like you, that rings out for me. So the way I want to approach this this morning is to just split it into two, two parts, really. Um, what this psalm means to me, how is this my psalm, and how is it your psalm as well? So David um, is uh, praying, writing this, crying out to God um, at the end of his life, and he had quite an interesting life. So a shepherd boy, rural context, um, and all that that entailed, um, charged up with, um, you know, uh, I suppose the spirit of God in one sense, but also a bit of bravado. He goes to join his brothers in the, in the battle against the Philistines, and he thinks, why aren't we bringing this guy down? I can do it with my slingshot. And he goes out and he kills the, this giant man on the opposite side. And he's anointed with the spirit of God. So we know that he's a, he's a wonderful musician, and actually his, his uh, gift of music was able to soothe people when they were troubled in spirit and all of us would recognize the real power of music when we hear good music today that it's able to soothe so David had that gift as well and then of course as this story goes on it gets worse and worse so he says here um, though you have made me see troubles many and bitter well they weren't over yet by the end of his life so the Christian life isn't a story of 
going from one thing to the next to the next so that we're eventually we're hovering five feet above the ground with no troubles whatsoever. At this point, when David's writing, his son is out to take his life. His son is trying to take his throne. His son is trying to woo um, the citizens of Israel over to himself. This is Absalom. His son sleeps with his father's concubines. I mean, it just goes on from worse to worse to worse. Um, and so David is writing this in the midst of all of that. So this is a man who really knows troubles, many and bitter and is able to pour out his heart to God. And this is the gift of Scripture. This is the gift of the Psalms. When you've got something to say, when you've got something to bring, where do you put that? You could just sing it into your iPhone. But who, who cares? It's a gift to us, this book. So this is David uh, praying and reflecting in his senior years. He says, since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me. And I do love that. When he's old, he's about 70. We're told that he um, took the throne age 30 and, and died, uh, reigned for 40 years before he died. So he must be about 70. But apparently he's not yet gray. I mean, he must have been eating lots of olives and <laughs> Mediterranean food. When I am old and gray. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, he says, do not forsake me. And uh, it's his psalm, of course. This is David's song. This is his prayer. But we live in a time of cultural appropriation. So I need to ask, how is this my psalm? How can this also be my, my word to God, my prayer and my cry? And the answer to that is that this is a gift to us as a community of faith. This book, these stories of people in real time, in real history, with real problems. All of our stuff is given to us in the Bible, every single bit. Our adultery, our infidelity, our unfaithfulness to God, our hatred of our enemies, our feeling oppressed and put upon. It's all here. It's all expressed. And people in writing these things, they didn't care so much to put their names to everything that, was, that came to them. Sometimes things are, not, are anonymous. So it's our story. It's given. Things that speak for, for one person speak for all. And David asks, who, O oh God, is like you? And we can just throw that little verse aside and not remark about it. But it's Fascinating to me, again, to think that 3,000 years ago, there was a man and there was a community who knew one God, one living God. In the Middle East, among nations and surrounding cultures that had lots of gods and pretty horrendous ones as well. Gods that you would have to bow and scrape and, uh, for uh, lest they... Um, you know, do something terrible to you, or gods of jealousy and anger, the god Molech, who required people to sacrifice their children. This is one god, unusual in that setting. But David knew him, and this people of God knew him, knew him as a real, a real person. How is this my psalm today? Well, Richard's about to celebrate, well, he has been celebrating, but about to celebrate going into his 41st year. Um, and I'll be looking at that <laughs> next year. I might not be cycling the South Downs. 
But this is an interesting time in my life to look back and to look forward. And um, my name is Madeline. So my full name is Madeline. I'm known as Maddie. But this verse, verse 3, be my rock of refuge, has really stood out to me in my life. Because my name actually means strong tower. It means rock in a way. And it's not something that I've always identified with, truth be told. I haven't always been sort of a confident, strong woman. And I know people do say that to me, I'm such a strong person. Well, I wasn't always. And I really think this is the work of God in my life. I remember being 14 at school and and just, you know, keeping in the background, and and as you do, and um, going into the common room where everyone was hanging out, and another boy was about 15 or 16, and he was a bit mischievous and, you know, rebellious, and everybody knew about him, and, um, and, he, and I was a bit more shy. And he just came up to me, and he said, Maddie, he said, he said, say, ah! In the middle of this busy room, right, with all these people, these cool people. And he, he did it. He just said, say that. And I went, no. And I just justified my response. No, I don't need to say, no, don't be silly. I'm not going to do that. And he said to me, Maddie, you're so scared. so scared and I would have loved to have said don't be stupid of course I'm not no you're right (laughs) he was absolutely right I was so scared just scared to do anything scared to be noticed scared of anyone to look at me you know just didn't want any sort of any attention like that at all and I've never forgotten it it's really shaped my whole life that knowledge that I'm a little bit inclined to be you know, scared and shy. But God has been building me over the years. I can see that part of my story is his his work in my life to make me who I am, to make me something of that strong tower. I mean, not just in height and stuff, but to, to fortify me, to fortify me and to build us up. And that's God's work in my life. And I'd love you to ponder as you take this away today how The God we know by his Holy Spirit, how this God, how David can describe God and we also today as something so concrete, so real, so dense, so permanent as a rock, as a mountain. How is that possible? This is David's experience, and this is mine. Verse 5, For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth, I've relied on you. This has been my experience. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. I've been fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian family. And people say, oh, you only believe because your parents are Christians. Well, it's not the only reason I believe. But there's no doubt that has a massive influence on my life. To see how they live, to see when we were growing up all the difficulties that we face in, our, in the area that we lived in, in Merseyside, and how my parents were real with each other and how they addressed their prayers to God and how they expressed the difficulties with that. To grow up in that environment and an environment of love and laughter and prayer and Bible is pretty special, and I'll be the first to admit that. From my birth, I have relied on you. So I sort of think, coming to, into our day and time, 
that not one of us can speak of being a self-made man or woman? Which of us hasn't relied on God since birth? None of us has the power to make our own hearts tick. From birth, all of us have relied on God in one way or another. The question isn't whether we don't have God in our lives, but whether we'll turn back and give him thanks, give him praise, acknowledge that there is a God who is greater than us. It also says in verse 15, My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. Well, I'm training for ordination, and I don't know the measure of this. I don't know the measure of God's fullness. I don't know all the theology that there is, but I do know this God. I do know and can recount many, many experiences of his faithfulness, because this is the only God I know. I don't know Buddha. I don't know Krishna. I don't know Karl Marx like I know this God. And I know people follow them, but I don't know how they help. I don't know how they help when I'm in trouble. I don't know how they help when a bully is really having a go. I don't know how they help when you feel so distraught at the loss of someone you love. You don't know what to do with yourself. I don't know how Karl Marx helps that. I know people follow him. I know he has his disciples, but I don't know how he helps. And the reason I don't know is because all those people are dead and Jesus Christ is alive. And Christians are the people who bear witness to that truth now from 2,000 years ago that Jesus is alive. So I don't know the fullness of what this means. But yes, Jesus has been my hope. And I want to cling to that hope throughout my days. And it says in verse 8, my mouth is filled, uh, filled with your praise. Let me read it. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. And part of my journey to becoming, um, well, somebody who's on the road to getting ordained <laughs> has been unzipping my mouth and being able to tell the truth, uh, being able to say that this is, brings me such joy to share the life of God. Uh, last week, um, Jenny Eastwood and I were in church, as we are in a, um, on a lunchtime, and two guys came in, and just in the front porch, I won't give their names, uh, one of them said, I'm an atheist, I'm an atheist, I, you know, I, I, and the other one was a Christian, and he said, we're just visiting, we're just visiting, and, and I said, brilliant, come in, you would like a cup of tea, we had to sit down, well, an hour and a half later, I had something of this man's life story, and it turned out, like you, Natalie, he'd been on the Alpha course, he said, I've, you know, I've got two degrees. I've got a you know, degree in political economy, and my brain's basically just too big for this. <laughs> but on the Alpha course, he'd experienced God by the Holy Spirit. He said, I, I, it happened last year. I was at this church in North London, and I received the Holy Spirit, and he said it was just like waves of love. He said, my body actually started to shake. And he said, I fell on the ground. And I asked him, what do you think? what was that? Do you, what happened to you? He said, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I, I don't know what to make of it. I said, but I just struggle because I've got so many questions and I don't know how to respond. And I was able to say to him, this is the only time this has ever done me any good, but I said to him, I'm on my third degree. <laughs> got more than you. I, was, I said, I'm on my third degree. You don't have to stop thinking to become a Christian doesn't stop you thinking, doesn't stop you having your doubts and your questions. Come along, bring them with you. 
But do make sure you pay attention to what's happened to you in your own experience. You've had that experience. You've experienced God's love. That's been so real for you. Don't walk away because your, your head has become too big for your heart. Let that be your full experience and bring your questions with you. And my secret, I said to him, I said, the thing is, the sad thing about the church is you, we can go along and it just looks like people are very reserved and very closed and zipped up. I said, my heart is bursting with this good news. If, if you could just peel back the veil into any Christian's life, they would tell you that knowing God is the best thing ever. It is the best thing to know that God is for you, that he loves you, that he has done something about that, that he sent his son to die for you, to take on himself your sins, to welcome you, to go running to you like the prodigal son and the father. God is so for you. And Christians have been taught to just keep it all on the lowdown because we don't get excited about faith and we must keep it all very quiet and discreet and and all very tidy, because we know that to say that there's a living God who loves you and is for you is quite a radical thing, and it's too much for people to cope with. But I said, you've come here today, permit me to tell you that that's the case. <laughs> and he said, thank you. And I believe he walked out of here halfway. <laughs> he said, it's important to meet people like you, but maybe a bit less of a strict atheist than he was when he came in. But we believe in a God who's alive. And I could go on and on and on. How is this your psalm? How is this your psalm? Well, it says again, verse 8, like I said before, I will praise you more and more. Jesus Christ is the author of life. John 1 says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. No one has seen God, but God, the one and only, Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It's God's agenda. God has made God's self known. And we cannot escape that anymore. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus is risen. That is a historical fact. We're just the people who keep telling, keep telling that story. And there is no end to the life that God gives. We are not ever going to reach the day when God's word just gives out, when this just becomes irrelevant, when it doesn't speak to us anymore, when the Holy Spirit just stops moving and working. We are never, ever going to get to the end of this. Put your trust in God. Richard Dawkins can give us a very good reason for existence, but he offers absolutely no reason to stay alive. Put your hope in God. And Natalie, what you've done today offers us that perfect image of what this means. This crossing over from a kingdom of darkness and dead ends to life, free life, abundant life, never-ending fullness of life. Gareth Southgate, to finish, has spoken of, quote, borrowing Christian language, the spirit and belief of his team. He said, it's something they can all look back on now in terms of their own experience. We've talked about creating their own stories, creating their own history. This story is your story. David's psalm is our psalm. In all our troubles, many and bitter, God is working to restore our lives, always. 
to restore hope. Even when we are old and gray, God will never leave us or forsake us. Let's share this good news and praise him more and more. Amen.